Now, if you'd open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 31, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, you'll notice what we read in verse 1. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to come and go, and the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he did to Sikon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he shall choose, You shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men, and the women, and children, and the alien who's in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children, who've not known, will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and to the exposition of it to follow later. Will you join with me, please, in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you today to thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your word. We need thy word, and we need a good dose of what you repeat in this very text. You're a God. You'll not fail your people. You'll not forsake your people. Help us to keep our focus on you and your word as we live out our days on this earth. And Lord, on this particular day, which is set aside to honor fathers, we realize you're the ultimate father. And we want to pray, though, for fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers. Help these men to walk close with you all the days of their lives. May they see the value of influencing their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We ask that the older men that are connected to not only this church, but connected to Jesus Christ, will be, as Paul described, temperate, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and perseverance. We ask that the younger men will be sensible men, who will be responsible in working and providing for their families and leading their families to thee and thy word. Lord, these are troubled times, and we need men, and we need fathers and grandfathers that will be men of God for thy glory, and we pray that. We pray that you would continue to work in all of our minds and hearts. 
May we all seek to know thy word. May we all seek to learn thy word and to obey thy word as we wait for the Lord to come get us. And we pray that you would use a service like this to help us reach that objective. In Jesus' name, amen. I was walking down our driveway this week, saw a beautiful butterfly. I just stopped to watch it. It had beautiful wings, beautiful color, so graceful, so graceful. What saddened me about watching it was the fact that most butterflies will only live three to four weeks. In fact, one of the butterflies only lives 24 hours. But in their short lifetime, they bring so much beauty to the world. One person said when it comes to butterflies, a butterfly does not count months, it counts moments. When it comes to God's people, in all reality, it's the same. Today is Father's Day, and for many of us whose fathers have already gone into eternity, that's the way it was for them, and that's the way it was from our perspective. I mean, they were here with us for a while, seems like too short a while, they're gone. Life is like a vapor. It's here for a few years and then gone. It doesn't matter who the person is, that's the way it works. That's the way it was for Moses, as God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 31:14, "Behold, the time for you to die is near." Make no mistake about this fact. Moses was a great man of God. He'd been used by God in more ways than any other finite human being has ever been used by God or will ever be used by God. But all great things must come to an end. And even the best of God's men come to a time when they leave. And it was now Moses' turn. He'd come to the end of his incredible life. And in the next chapters of Deuteronomy, he gives Israel and us his final words. We could say as we come to this 31st chapter, he starts to proclaim his final message. Probably when you analyze what he does here, he would have flunked most homiletic courses. But he is a faithful communicator of the truth of God, a faithful communicator of the word of God. And when you analyze this text, what we see is this final message to the people is, I'm going to die. So you need to trust God, take God's word seriously. You need to hear it. You need to obey it. And Joshua is going to take you from here on out. You need to follow him as well. Now, I have said this multiple times in this ministry. When a great man of God dies, you do not get them back. You don't replace them. You don't replace a Martin Luther. You don't replace a John Calvin. You don't replace a D.L. Moody. You don't replace a Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You don't replace a C.I. Schofield, a Lewis Berry Chafer, a John Miles, a John Wolvert, a Warren Wiersbe. You don't replace them. They're gone. At best, we remember what they stood for, and at best, we remember their teaching and we follow their example. And in the Bible, there was no greater man than Moses. The things that God did with Moses... He did not do with any other man who ever existed, including the apostles. I mean, he never took the apostles to an ocean and parted an ocean so he could lead a nation across it. He didn't do that. But as great a man as Moses was, it was time for him to die. We're all sinners. Moses was a sinner. In fact, that's why he's not actually going into the promised land here, because he failed God in sin. But death is a penalty for sin, and if the Lord tarries, all of us are going to have our moment. Verse 1 opens with the fact that Moses spoke to all Israel. He spoke these words to all Israel. And later in this chapter, he'll mention that the leaders are to gather the men, the women, the children, the strangers to hear the word of God. 
Now, a week ago, this past Friday, was my spiritual birthday. What I mean by that is God saved me on June 10th, 1976. So, spiritually speaking, I've been in Christ now for 46 years. And for the past 46 years, I've been pouring through the scriptures, asking God to grant me wisdom to understand it. I have not been able to find any hint of children's church. I have not been able to find any hint of children's programs in the Old or the New Testament. If you know of one, please let me know. Perhaps I've overlooked it. I'd be quick to analyze it, but I haven't been able to find one. It seems to me that when you go through the scriptures, what God says is get all the people together. Get the men, get the women, get the children. You bring them to the place of worship. You teach them to sit there and listen to the word of God. Teach them to reverence God. Hear the word, obey the word. And you see that right here when it says Moses spoke to all Israel, including the children. And when he gathered the people together, he didn't sing. And music is a wonderful, wonderful ministry of the church. We have tremendous musicians in this church, very skilled that just do wonderful work. It's great to have this singing of these great hymns. But that's not what Moses knew the people needed. He didn't need to hear him sing. He brought the people together and he said, they need to hear the word of God. And he brought them together to proclaim the word of God. That's what Paul promoted, by the way. He told Timothy, preach the word. That's what Jesus promoted. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep the word of God. So in this final message that he opens up, there are four points of communication that I want to show you. The first one is he addresses all the people, and there are nine opening statements that Moses makes to the people in this message that he gives to them. The first statement is, I'm 120 years old. That's what he says in verse 2. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I think it was probably his birthday, his actual birthday. He was 120 years old. The fact that he's 120 years old will be brought up again in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 7 when it's repeated that that's the time that he died. He was 120 years old. His life had been incredible. You could break his life down into three 40-year segments. Now, if any of us works at a job for 40 years, that's like a major accomplishment. I mean, if you work for somebody and you do a job for 40 years, it's like you've really done something. He had three 40-year stints. I mean, first of all, he worked 40 years in Egypt as an Egyptian. Man, did he have a life there. We learn from the book of Acts, and we also learn from Hebrews that he had it all. I mean, he grew up with Egyptian education. He grew up wealthy. Pharaoh's daughter had taken him in and you know the story how she found him in a basket and she had raised him up to be an Egyptian and he was a great man. Acts 7 tells us of great intellect and power and deeds. He was a remarkable man. I mean he had everything going for him. Power, prestige. He spent 40 years in the Egyptian world as an Egyptian. But then he spent the next 40 years in Midian as a shepherd. Like a fugitive. He had Got in a fight and that guy died, so he went on the run and he basically, we learn from Hebrews, turned his back on his Egyptian life, which would have been a gravy life. It would have been a life of pleasure and prestige. He turned his back on that and he ends up 40 years in Midian just taking care of flocks. But then 
He spent 40 years as Israel's leader. You'll recall that God appeared to him in a burning bush while he was there doing that shepherding work and just said, you're my guy, I'm choosing you, and you're going to go get those people, and you're going to become their leader, and you're going to take them to the promised land. That's an amazing life there. That's an amazing career. What a tremendous man of God, but it doesn't matter how great the man of God, it doesn't matter how great the career, one day it's going to come to an end. So the second statement is, I'm not able to go out and come in anymore. That's what he says in verse 2. I'm no longer able to come and go. Now we learn from Deuteronomy 34.7 that we'll get to in a few weeks that he still had his eyesight and he still had his vigor. We also know from chapter 32 that God's going to tell him to climb up a mountain to die. And we know that he still had the strength to be able to climb a mountain. So even though he was 120 years old with strength and with vigor, and he didn't look frail and feeble, he certainly was not a bedridden guy. He was not the kind of guy who sat around moaning and whining about his aches and pains and saying, woe is me. But he didn't have the same stamina he had. You just don't have it when you get older. It's the way it is. You know that. Those of you that are older understand this principle said, I've still got an alert mind. I mean, I can still see good. I still can function, but I just don't have the same strength to be able to lead the people that I used to have. When you're God's leader, there's tremendous pressure. It takes its toll. I mean, you have to make decisions and you have to get involved in being a warrior. You have to fight battles. You have to lead. You have to teach. You have to protect. You have to advise. And Moses said, I just can't do it anymore. I'm still very alert, but my strength isn't just the same anymore. I can't do it at this level anymore. Which brings us to his third statement. God told Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. Verse 2, and the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. Now in Numbers 20, God told Moses that he would not bring Israel into the land. And the reason why he wasn't going to do that is because he struck a rock twice instead of speaking to a rock as God told him to do. You'll recall the story when we went through Numbers. The nation Israel was complaining about the fact they didn't have water. God told them, just go out and speak to the rock and I'll produce water from the rock. And Moses got mad at the mumbling, grumbling people and he smacked the rock twice. And as a result of that, God said, I'm not going to let you enter the promised land. We learn from 1 Corinthians 10 that the rock was actually a defacing of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ was actually there. The people didn't see it. Moses didn't see it. But the rock was going to miraculously supply living water to Israel, and that was Jesus Christ who was supplying that, and no sinful human was going to be responsible for any of that. So God told Moses, man, when you cross that line, you're not going to enter the land. That had been his goal and dream since he went and got those people. His goal and dream had been I want to take him from Egypt to the promised land. His whole life's ambition was to take him to the land. But when Moses had that one lapse and he demeaned Jesus Christ, it cost him. And there's a great principle for men of God and teachers and leaders to glean here. Leaders are going to be held to a higher standard than the average churchgoer. 
Guys that stand up before people and say, this is what God's word says, I better understand that principle. James, in James 3, 1 says the teachers are going to receive a stricter judgment, and Moses was going to not enter the promised land because of that principle right there. Now his fourth statement is, God's the one who's going to cross the Jordan with you and defeat the enemies. He says in verse 3, it is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Now, Moses says, I'm leaving. God is not leaving. And I want you to notice once again, he brings out the fact, this is the Lord your God. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is Jehovah, the sovereign covenant God of Israel, is your God, the one who is the sovereign creator, this is your personal God. He will go ahead of you. You will go over the Jordan. You will take the land. You will take the cities. You will get the houses. You'll get the fields. And you'll get the vineyards because God is going there with you. He's going on before you. And this is something that is so important for us to understand. It doesn't matter how successful we may have been in the past. This is critical. If an individual or if a church or if a city or a state or a country loses the favor of God, they'll lose it all. They'll lose it all. And Moses wanted these people to understand, look, the key to you having the victory there is you are right with God who's going before you. And what God's people need to realize is that going forward when a great man of God is gone depends on God. Moses had been the only leader these people had ever known up to this point. It was time for him to die, but he wanted them to know there is still God, and if you still will be serious about his word and following him, you will see that you will have victory. God will never let his people down if they love him and his word and follow him. Don't ever forget this fact. God will never let you down. This is so important for us to understand. God will never let you down. Politicians, they'll let you down. Religious and political leaders, they'll let you down. You'll let yourself down. Your health will let you down. Your friends may let you down. Your finances may let you down. God won't. This is so critical. We need to understand his word, follow his word, because he's the only one who won't let us down. And he's the key to victory. Which brings us to his fifth statement. Joshua is the one who will lead you because God has spoken it. That's what he says at the end of verse 3. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you just as the Lord has spoken. Now this is important because what you have happening here is Moses is in the loop of all of this. Moses is publicly telling the people, Joshua is going to lead you. And this is not just Moses' opinion, but he said, this is what the Lord has decreed. This is what the Lord has spoken. Now, Joshua was God's choice. You would have probably thought Caleb might be a better choice, but it wasn't God's choice. Or what about Moses' sons? We'll meet them at the end of this this morning. What about them? They weren't the choice either. It was Joshua. And I think this is important because Moses was God's key man through whom God had done so much. And now he himself is putting his stamp of approval on Joshua. In many instances, when a key leader 
or ministry is leaving. They want to leave the key guy who is responsible for the blessings of God out of things and go forward on their own without even consulting whether or not the next guy is the right guy. That happened in Grand Rapids. I'm telling you, I saw this happen to a school. John Miles was the head of the Grand Rapids School of the Bible and Music. He was the school. And I still remember hearing him tell how you would walk around that campus and ask God to give him that campus to train men and women for ministry. He, used to, he was the guy who did that. And God literally gave him that campus to train men and women for ministry. That was his God-appointed task. And when he decided it was time for him to leave, that board started doing funny things. Oh, they'd talk to him and try to keep him informed. They were doing funny things behind his back. And they weren't open and honest with what was going on. The school is gone. It's gone. What you see here is real integrity of what's happening here. I mean, what is happening here is Moses is saying, look, I understand who the next leader is. God has obviously revealed that to me. It's going to be Joshua. Think about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He was very careful in the selection of people that followed him. He took the lead in selecting men that would not only travel with him, he was very careful in who he would let be involved in his churches. Furthermore, there's a theological point here. Moses represents the law. That cannot take anybody into the promised land. Joshua represents grace that can take into the promised land. And so Moses said, I'm not going to take you. He is. Which brings us to the sixth statement, God will destroy all your enemies as you've seen him already do. That's what he says in verses 4 and 5. Those two victories that we went through back in Deuteronomy 2 and 3 were not just interesting victories for the time that they happened. This also was a key thing that these people needed to think about as they went forward because they were right now living, two and a half tribes were living in the very land that God had given to them on the east side of the Jordan River. Those two victories against Sakon and Og and the Amorites were key victories. I mean, they had big military intimidating forces. They had giants in the land. You recall when we went through that. And God led Israel and he dropped them. He gave Israel the victory there and he's saying, you think about that. He'll do the same thing as long as you're faithful to him, as long as you obey the word of God. He will do that for you. Just stay faithful to him and he'll give you more victory. Which brings us to the seventh statement. You shall obey and do all the commandments which I've given you. At the end of verse 5, you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. It all comes down to that, doesn't it? I mean, it comes down to you obey God. That's been basically the theme of the book of Deuteronomy. Obedience is the key to the blessings of God. Disobedience brings the chastisement of God. It all comes down to that. Stay focused on the word of God. His eighth statement is be strong and courageous. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Now, being strong and courageous is not due to trusting in themselves. Their strength and their courage comes from a right relationship with God. You know, we need to be believers who have some sense of this today. We're living in a panic world. I actually, and it's the truth, Mary will verify this, I don't watch the news. 
I'm sick of hearing it. I don't even want to hear it. I want to know what the Word of God says. That's what I want to know. So I don't even follow the news because what you hear today is, oh, it's bad. It's bad. We don't know what's going to happen. That'll make you strong and courageous, won't it? Here's a statement from Moses to Israel. They're about to go in, and it was bad. I mean, your land filled with Canaanites and a lot of enemies that were more organized and stronger than they were. And Moses said, this is what you need to do. You need to keep your focus on knowing and understanding and obeying the scriptures, because if you do that, that will produce a strength and courage in you Because you'll know you're right with God and that will give you the ability to cope with life. Knowledge of God's word, application of God's word is the key to strength and backbone. And then he says, not only be strong and courageous, but also don't be afraid and tremble. He says there at the end of verse 6, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or tremble at them. Look, You want to be afraid of something, be afraid of God. Fear God. That's the one we should bow down before in reverence and fear, and we should tremble before him. God doesn't want his people spending their lives like a bunch of sniveling cowards. And Moses says there are three reasons why I don't want you to be afraid and trembling. Number one, God goes with you. Number two, God will not fail you. Number three, God will not forsake you. Can you do one thing right now to change the economy? Can you do one thing right now that can change the lawlessness that is breaking loose across this nation everywhere we turn? Can you do anything about that? What can you do? You can go to work on knowing the word of God and applying it to your own life. That's what you can do. That's what I can do. And Moses said, I want you to understand something. When you're focused on knowing and applying the scriptures, God's with you. He'll not fail you. He will not forsake you. He knows every struggle. He knows every sorrow. He knows every scary thing. He knows every setback. He knows every sickness, every stress that you have, and he knows every sin. He knows every political leader of any political party. Those things are nothing compared to him. Nothing. God says, you stay focused on me, my presence will be with you. You'll march through this world focused on knowing and obeying my word, and you can know for certain that God is with us. He will not fail us. He will not forsake us. And that is not just an Old Testament thesis, because in Hebrews... The writer of Hebrews says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that you may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, and what will man do to me? Then we read in that Hebrews text, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now we are living in an unstable, scary, sinful world. We need a good dose of this theology. We need a good dose of the fact that I'm supposed to be a believer who acts strong and courageous. I'm not afraid and I'm not troubled because I understand God is with us. God will not fail us. God will not forsake us. Which brings us to his second point of communication. He addresses Joshua in the presence of all the people. Verse 7, then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel. There is
There used to be a guy out in Idaho. He used to pray this. He used to drive me nuts. God, let them see Jesus. Don't let them see us. I'm going, the problem with that is they're going to see us. And furthermore, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where God didn't allow someone to stand up before people and lead them somewhere. And so when Moses said, know that God's going to go before you, God's plan is, but I also have a guy, and the guy is to lead you in the ways of God who's going before you. So there's going to be a need a human agent, and that's the whole system of God. That's not my system. That's the system of God. God leads his people according to his word, but he uses somebody. He uses somebody to direct the people according to the word of God. That's the way he designed it. Now, Joshua depended on Moses for years. I mean, he had been with Moses. He had seen what God had done with him, and now it's his turn. Moses brought Joshua before all the people to charge him and put his stamp of approval on him. This is like some public commissioning. And I think public commissioning is very biblical. Moses commissions Joshua right here. You know, I think churches have lost this too. Most churches today select ministers based on their own resumes. So what is a resume? It's a man who's talking about himself. What is being lost here is where are the men of God who know the word of God who say, now there's a guy right there. There's a guy right there who's a man of God. That's what Moses is doing here to Joshua. He's calling him before the people and he's going, this is a guy I'm commissioning here because this is the choice of God. And there are three main messages and six promises that he gives to Joshua. Number one, be strong and courageous. He says that to him, be strong and courageous. I mean, a good leader has to do that. No matter what you're feeling, no matter how intimidated you may be, a good leader needs to be strong and courageous. I mean, a good guide has to guide. A good guide has to lead. God does not want his leaders to be wimpy or whiny. He wants his leaders to know his word, to be strong and courageous in defending his word. You don't want some compromising, politically correct, mamby-pamby, girly man leading you. Because they aren't going to lead you into strength with a relationship with the Lord. The strength and courage comes from God, by the way, not self. Don't be strong in yourself. You be strong in the Lord. Secondly, you go with these people because God has commanded it. That's what he tells him in verse 7. He's saying this in front of all the people. You shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. Joshua, it's your job. You go with these people. And by the way, Joshua's not some guy who's trying to, you know how the politics works when it comes to ministry. I mean, you get some guy, hey, I got somebody in the family who's in ministry or was on the mission field. You know how that political game is played. It's had nothing to do with any of that. I mean, Joshua was not looking for this responsibility. He's not some politician who's manipulating his way into this position of power. This is Moses saying, this is God's choice. And this is the man of God who's going to lead you from now on. I'm dying. I'm going to die. But he's going to take you on to the next level. And thirdly, you shall give these people the promised land as their inheritance. You take them into the promised land. It's the land that was sworn to their fathers by the Lord to give to them as their inheritance. 
Moses says, Joshua, it'll be your job. It's your job to take them all the way in. And again, as I mentioned, Moses represents the law, cannot take us to the promised land, cannot take us to heaven. Joshua represents Yeshua, Jesus, who's the Savior. He can take us all the way in. All the way into the promised land and all the way into heaven. Now he said, you do that, and the Lord promises you some wonderful things. Number one, he'll go before you. Joshua, that's what he says there in verse 8. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll go on ahead of you. Spurgeon said, every believer needs to grasp this point. Every believer needs to grasp this point, whether you're involved in a great work or a great warfare. You need to understand that God goes before us. He's there ahead of us. Secondly, the Lord is the one who will be with you. God doesn't just go before us and then leave us in the dust. As we follow his word, as we obey his word, he's right there with us. Thirdly, the Lord will not fail you. God will never fail his people who turn to him. God will never fail his people who trust him, who seek to understand the scriptures and obey the scriptures. When you find yourselves in war, you'll discover God is right there with you and he'll never fail you. The fourth promise is he'll never forsake you. No matter what you're facing, no matter how intimidating the enemy, God will not forsake you. Then he said, do not fear Verse 8, do not be dismayed. When you find yourself perplexed, remember God is right there with us. He's right there in the midst of us. So what can we expect God's people to do when they look around and they say, boy, oh boy, oh boy, the stock market has just gone bad. Gas prices, I don't know. Food shortages, you go in grocery stores, the shelves are empty. You turn on the news and there's killing and, and you turn on the news and there's immorality and there's greed and lying and political insanity. What's the position we should take? Well, here's where most take it. God's not there. He's not with us. He's failing us. It's like he's forsaken us. We need to spend the rest of our days afraid. And we need to spend the rest of our days mentally perplexed because we don't know what to think. Do you think that's how God wants his people to act and live? He says, no way. No. You trust me. You understand my word. You go to work on that and you understand I'm with you. I'll not fail you. I'll not forsake you. Circumstances have nothing to do with this. Circumstances may be intimidating. You keep your focus there. I'll take care of you. His third point of communication is Moses wrote the law, gave it to the priests and elders. You'll notice in verse 9, so Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders. Now, the main thing that he's doing here is he's saying in front of all the people, you leaders, You leaders have a responsibility to see to it that these people are taught the written word of God. I'm entrusting this written word of God with you. It's written down. And you have a responsibility to see to it that the people are taught the written word of God. You protect it. You see to it that they listen to it, that it's studied, that it's obeyed. And leaders have a responsibility to see that that gets done. 
And that never changed as the New Testament church age developed. In fact, it was Paul who said to Timothy, the things that have been entrusted to you, the same you commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So this principle of you be faithful leaders who take the word of God seriously and you see to it that the people are taught the word of God, this is something that transcends dispensations from Old to New Testament. And then he said, fourthly, every seven years, the priests are to read this to all the people in the place God chooses. Verse 10, he commanded them saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of the remission of debts. Now, the reason why I think he brings up at the time of the year of the remission of debts is everybody would show up for that. Wherever this place was that he had designated was a place of worship. When it was the seventh year, the feast of booze, and when everybody was going to have their debts remitted, you can be certain the numbers would be big. People would show up for that. So Moses says, every seven years when that happens, your job is to see to it that you gather together the men, the women, the children, You gather together the alien who's in your towns and you bring them and you read to them the word of God so they can hear it, learn it, fear God, and obey God. That to me is the big problem we have today. I frankly think that's probably why we're in the mess we're in today. The word of God hasn't been taken seriously. People go to church. That's gone on. But they're hearing all kinds of stuff. And many ministers and religious leaders have failed, failed to systematically teach the word of God to the people. This is systematic analysis, by the way. So you're not talking about just pick a few verses you like and share it. You read this, you take this, you read it to the people so they can hear it, so they can understand it. That, to me, is what's wrong with what's going on in religion. It's just religious stuff. So you can take a verse and make up your belief. Somebody else can take another verse, make up their belief. But the word of God's being neglected into being carefully taught. And it doesn't matter what the denomination, it doesn't matter what the location, it doesn't matter what the color of people's skins, religious leaders have failed them. White ministers have failed white people. Black ministers have failed black people. Red ministers have failed red people. Yellow ministers have failed yellow people. Brown ministers have failed brown people. They gather them together to rev them up about who knows what. Some political cause, some political crusade. They get them together to share some story and let them have good entertainment. What they have neglected to do is read to them Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They've never gone through those books systematically or seriously. What they've really done is they've wasted people's times. And they will be accountable to God for it. Why? Life is short. We need to be people that count moments, especially moments when we're at church. Because the truth is, if the Lord tarries just like a butterfly, we'll be here one day, gone the next. Now, Moses had two sons. 
I'd like you to meet them. They're in 1 Chronicles 23, if you'd kind of go over there. 1 Chronicles 23, since it's Father's Day, we at least ought to acknowledge the sons that he had. In 1 Chronicles 23 and verse 15, you meet his two boys. In 1 Chronicles chapter 23 and verse 15, we read, The sons of Moses were Gershom and Eliezer. So I'm assuming that those two boys, Moses is 120 years old, I'm assuming that they're there to hear this. I don't know what happened to them. Well, Eliezer, we don't know much about at all. Gershom, according to Judges chapter 18, had a son whose name was Jonathan, and that son ended up being an idolatrous priest. As godly a man as their father was, as dedicated a man that their dad was to the word of God, their boys didn't turn out that way. But the tragedy was not just for the boys. It was for this whole nation. Because when this nation crossed the Jordan and got into the promised land, it wasn't long before they just kind of got sloppy in life and sloppy in their commitment to the scriptures. And God had to chastise them. In fact, when you look at the nation Israel, he's still in the process of chastising them right now. Don't let it happen to you. You stay focused on understanding and obeying the scriptures. That's our job. That's the key to the blessings of God. I don't care what's going on in the world. That's our job. We understand, apply the scriptures. As we do that, God will bless us. May we pray. Now, the Old Testament law, and perhaps you're here today and you've been a good religious person. You've gone to church for years and... You've obeyed the rules and you've followed the codes and the traditions and the laws, but you need to know this. The Old Testament law will never take you to the promised land. It'll never take you to heaven. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on that cross. He's the only way in. So if you will believe in him, he'll take you all the way to heaven one day. If you've never done that, right where you sit, just admit the truth about yourself, and that is that you're a sinner like all of us, and invite Jesus Christ to come in and take over your life. Our Father, we thank you so much for Moses. Let's start there. What a man of God. What a tremendous... It'll be impressive just to, in eternity one day, just to see him. Perhaps we'll have the opportunity to visit with him. Maybe not. I don't know. Certainly we wouldn't, at least I don't consider myself to be worthy to have a conversation with him. But we thank you for him. We thank you for his leadership. We thank you for his passion for his people to want to know the word of God and obey it. And Lord, we would pray that for ourselves, that that would be our passion, that we would want to know the scriptures and obey them. And I pray, Lord, as we live in this world that is just upside down, that we would be strong, courageous people, not in ourselves, but realizing you're with us, you'll not fail us, you'll not forsake us. For anything that you've done here today, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.